What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Out of Character. I'm your host, Ryan Satin. This week is the one-year anniversary episode of Out of Character with Ryan Satin. I just want to thank you all for listening this whole time. If you have been listening since the first episode, you are awesome. I cannot tell you how much I thank you for doing that. If you just listened at, at random episodes, if you've come in late, I don't care. I just want to say thank you so much for the support here. It really means a lot to me. I've been wanting to have a podcast like this for years. And the fact that I've finally been able to do it is a dream come true. So really, like from the bottom of my heart, thank you to every single person who has watched or listened to any episode of this show. But now we've got the biggest episode yet of Out of Character with Ryan Satin. We've got a guy who is rarely out of character on this show. I know he, you know, did a bunch of interviews when he first broke kayfabe, but we've covered some ground that he's never really talked about. So I'm really excited for you guys to hear my chat soon-to-be WWE Hall of Famer, The Undertaker. I really appreciate you doing this. Uh, I've uh, wanted to talk to you since the first episode, so I'm uh, very grateful for you giving me the time today. Oh, who's that young guy just popped his head in there? <laughs> I couldn't see what they were talking about. Must take you back seeing pictures like that. Yeah, it takes me way back. Oh, just a young man had no clue. That look, uh, that I'm, that, that look that I'm trying to put there is a scary look but the actual i'm the only one in that picture scared (laughs) (laughs) well i'm actually it's it's very interesting for me to hear you say that because you're someone who has always just exuded confidence so to hear that you know underneath all of that you know goth and scary stuff that there was just a normal human under there is uh very relatable well at that point um i mean that my god that, that picture was taking some point in 1990, I think. And, um, yeah, I'm still trying to figure everything out at that point. Um, you know, I'm trying to develop a character and, and, and figure out my, my, my way through the, you know, the WWE. So, um, yeah, there was a huge, uh, there was a huge learning lesson going on. Um, I'm getting a crash course in in uh, and everything at that point. And, um, it was, uh, it was it was it was fun. I have to admit, it was fun. But uh, yeah, the the confidence the confidence grew through the years uh, from from very humble beginnings. Well, I I'm mean, trying I, to get rid of all the noise here. Oh no, it's okay. Uh, what I was going to say is though, you know, I know that you know because you've been had to build that character over the years. You know, I know that they say that you know everyone's character in in wrestling or WWE is you know themselves with the volume turned up, but how much of your real true self was in your character over the years? It really was. I mean, I was always, um, you know, I was always into scary stuff. I, I liked scary movies and, um, uh, you know, I, I just, I, I was always just enthralled by um, mystery and, 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 and scare. And, you know, when I was a kid, it was more, it was more theater of the mind, right? You know, later on, you just, you know, the movies, they kind of went into full gore and they didn't leave anything for the, for you to think about. I mean, they showed you everything. Um, but early on, you know, they would, you know, they would cut things off and just kind of let your mind figure it out. So, uh, but yeah, I was always fascinated, even with death. And, and um, you know, there was a time, you um, 
where I had family members that actually worked in a funeral home. So I was around caskets and I was in embalming rooms. And uh, little did I know at that point where my, my career and my future was going to go. But uh, it, it's funny how things work out. But yeah, I mean, The Undertaker is uh, 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 a lot of things blown up uh, to the, the hundredth degree for sure. How old were you the first time you were in an embalming room? Oh, my goodness. Uh, kindergarten, God, probably. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah, it's nuts. I mean, it's crazy how things work out. And uh, I remember uh, I, I remember as a little kid, uh, you know, they were going to have a service. Uh, <laughs> and the, they had already they had already brought in the casket and you know, the deceased was in the casket, but the, the service wasn't going to start for another couple of hours. So there was nobody in, uh, in the chapel and my little morbid self decided I wanted to go up and, you know, see up close. And so I worked my courage up and I worked my way all the way up to this casket and peeked in and could have swore that the, that the corpse inside moved and I took <laughs> off like, <laughs> I took off like a scalded rabbit, but uh, 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 it's just, it's just funny. I mean, that's, it's funny what uh, I guess life prepares you for. Yeah. That's definitely funny that you were around funeral homes from such a young age. And then it became such a big part of you as your character. Uh, that's definitely, yeah, I mean, I, that's yeah. interesting because like I said, you know, the whole yourself with the volume turned up, I would have thought the complete opposite, but to hear that you were actually, you know, fascinated by death at such a young age, is you know interesting for me to hear yeah i really i, I you know and I, I really don't talk about that 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 often it doesn't normally it, it doesn't normally come up but it, it it's kind of ironic when i start thinking about it the the things that were placed in my life um you know later on in life once i started doing this at the under you know when i became the undertaker and you know we had some long arduous days of tv production and um, you know, there were, you know, there were a few times where you just, some you just have hours where you don't do anything. And, um, I, on more than one occasion, I may or may not have pulled out a, you know, a casket and took a little nap in there and, um, uh, <laughs> didn't think anything about it. Right. It's just, is it cold, casket comfortable it, to lay cool, in? I feel like it wouldn't be comfortable. No, I, well, you know, I had some big caskets. I had some big <laughs> opponents early on, so I had some really big caskets uh, that they they had on, in, you know, around. So yeah, they 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 served a dual purpose at times. <laughs> I'll never forget, you know, being a child, and you're actually one of the people who uh, got my fascination with the behind the scenes of wrestling started because when I was a kid, um, my dad was a producer for Ronda Shear up all night. And they had a show in L.A. out here and he took me to it. And I, my very first wrestling show, I got to be behind the scenes. And I remember you and Yokozuna were, you know, um, you know, opponents at the time. You guys didn't like each other. You were feuding. And I got to walk through the backstage area and you guys were sitting there playing cards together. And I remember going, wait, but they don't like each other. What's going on here? And I remember that was the day where like wrestling was always different for me and why I enjoy covering wrestling, because it was like, oh, these people do like each other sometimes crazy. And it really got my mind going from a young age. Yeah. Yoko and I were, yeah, I mean, Yoko and I were, were very close and it's not a day I don't think about him. Um, you know, it, that's not always the case. So there's a lot of guys that you don't like that you don't play cards with. 
<laughs> it just happened to be that Yokozuna and I were uh, we were we were really close, and we spent a lot of we, we spent a lot of time uh, downtime playing dominoes and playing cards, and um, you know that's the the origins of the of the famous BSK was was dominoes and and a, and a group of guys that kind of like minded guys that hung out together and. Um, but yeah, it, 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 and it would be funny because if, if I won, you know, if I won at cards before we went out and worked, uh, it was going to be a long night for me. <laughs> Yoko could impose his will when he wanted to. So, um, you know, he might sit on that bonsai drop a little longer than normal. If I'd, uh, you know, if I'd taken a few bucks off of him while we were playing cards. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> which is understandable. Was, I think uh, anyone would react that way. You know, I'm sure you'd probably choke slam him a little bit harder if uh, he had beaten you. Oh yeah, yeah. But there's only you know, Yoke was <laughs> he was just a different kind of cat. You there wasn't a whole lot you could do to him. Um, I just basically what I try to do to him to get back at him is is make him run around the ring and chase me <laughs> and, and try and make him tired. That was about all I could do because uh, Yoke. You know, Big Rod was a man's man, and uh, you know, you know the Samoans, man. They they don't play. So, but uh, I, I I tell you what, I I really miss uh, I, I miss him and and uh, and the good times that we shared together. Well, you know, in talking about your real true self and you know you behind the character, what words would you use to describe your off-screen personality? My off-screen personality, just you at uh, home, you with your friends. What, how, how would you describe yourself? Yeah, I'm. I'm a. I'm a lot lighter. Uh, I'm not nearly as dark um, as what you see on TV. I, I, I love cutting up. I love playing. Uh, you know, I love playing practical jokes on people. Uh, just you know. I, at this point, now there was a there was a long period of time there where it was hard for me to shut Undertaker off. Um, I, I mean, I kind of live, you know, it's kind of chronicled, well chronicled now that I I lived that character, and, and that sometimes bled over into my personal life. But uh, at, at this point, um, you know, I'm rediscovering who Mark Calloway is, and uh, a lot of the things that I sacrificed. Uh, for the sake of my career and, and, and that character I'm, I'm getting to do now. And, and it's, it's really cool. Um, you know, I'm, I'm getting to finally spend time with my children and uh, you know, that, that, and, and my wife just, you know, quality time, not time where I'm sitting there thinking about, okay, I, you know, I've got this opponent coming up and not, you know, what can I do different here? It's just, you know, it, it's just a, uh, I guess I'm in the in the middle of a of a deep exhale. Uh, you know, I'm just kind of like, not that yeah, because I, I do. I miss I miss being in the ring, and if it was if my body would allow it, I would probably still still be out there. But uh, it's nice being at home um, and not having to worry about uh, you know what I have to do next as far as you know, being in the ring and all that. It, it's nice to be able to go hunting and fishing and, and hang out with my kids and go to the beach and do all those things that, uh, you know, I mean, they're still, they're, they're still kind of difficult. Obviously I've been on TV for 30 plus years, so it's kind of hard to, to, to blend in and hide, 
but uh, I, I make a much, much bigger effort now to do those kind of things uh, while I still can. Yeah. I want to ask some more questions about current Mark Calloway, but you mentioned something that I also wanted to touch on. So before we breeze past it, you know, when we started mm-hmm. this conversation, you mentioned, you know, early 90s, you figuring things out. And then just now you mentioned how, you know, eventually it was hard to shut off the character and that you were just always in Undertaker mode. At what point did you kind of d- decide that you were going to have to live this character 24-7? Um, I, honestly, it was... I guess it was before 91 when I, when I wrestled, uh, before I wrestled Hogan at survivor series and and won the title, I, I had already felt the, the, the momentum and just the, the, the difference that my character presented as opposed to a lot of the other characters. I mean, I, I realized, um, and, and that was always my goal was to be different. Uh, you know, I, I, I always studied uh, one, I studied whoever was on top. Right. So I, you know, I studied warrior and I studied Hogan and I studied Jake, the snake. And I, I was, I was watching what they were doing and was always thinking like, all right, what, what am I going to do? What am I going to present? That's different than everything stereotypical, stereotypically you think of a professional wrestler. And then, you know, then it's, then it started coming, you know, to me and I'm studying Jason Voorhees and Michael Myers and all these different things. And, you know, back then it was a lot, it, it was a lot easier because everyone didn't have cell phones back then. And, you know, you're not being recorded almost anytime you're in, in public like you are now, but I did want to present when people did see me in the airport or when they saw me out and about, um, you know, although I wasn't dressed in my TV undertaker garb, it wasn't much different. I mean, I always dressed in black. I always, I mean, there was no doubt who it was. And then I presented myself in a way where like, dude, that dude, that really, yeah, he is, you know, he's not right. And, and, (laughs) and, But in my mind, I had to do that to give that character credibility because the character itself was so over over the top. You know, in my mind, I said, well, I've got to make people believe. And it was crazy what people believed. I mean, half the people said, are you really dead? (laughs) I mean, I got that. I honestly, I got that quite a bit. Um, which is a testament so, to how good you were doing things. Because the fact that people actually well, were like questioning I, I guess, it is I, I, when, that's know, how you know you were doing a good job. It, it was it was funny. Like back in the day, we didn't have we didn't have security guards, and we didn't have uh, you know we used to come out of the the arena, and you're kind of on your own to make it to your car, and um, especially those first I don't know maybe those first four years. Like when everybody else came out, they're just getting mobbed. And when I would come out through the back door and Paul Bear would be with me, uh, it would, I mean, the people would open up. It would be just like, they would just move away from me. And I didn't have to say anything. I didn't have to yell at anybody. It was really, people did not know how to take me. And that was, you know, that was telling me you're doing something right. And it just kind of became my way of life. In, in, in almost every situation, every place that I was, I was just, I didn't make myself uh, really approachable 
I mean, I wasn't rude to people. If people, you know, if they did muster up the courage to come and say something to me, um, you know, I didn't, you know, I didn't threaten them or tell them I was going to make them rest in peace, but you know, they, they didn't get, they didn't get this. They yes. didn't get an engaging conversation. Um, you know, it was, uh, so it, it was just, I got lucky, I guess, um, in, in the way that I, that I approached it. I wish I could say I was just that smart, but I, I can't do that. But in my mind, that was how I was going to be different. And I was going to have people, I was going to have people believe that what they saw on TV was the same guy that they saw walking through the airport. And, and, uh, you probably should probably stay away from the Grim Reaper. I mean, <laughs> well, know, I can put you over a little well. bit and I can say that I do think it was smart because I think that it's from everything you're saying here and the fact that you studied, you know, famous movie villains like Jason Voorhees and, and you studied the top guys in the biz and kind of tried to find a way to, to mesh it all together. I think that that shows that you were smart and that you were uh, ahead of the game to some degree. And also, you know, on living the gimmick, you know, and everything that you were saying right now, I think as a as a good example of that, there's this famous picture that I've seen of you on the internet from back in the day, where it looks like you're maybe at your grandma's house or some elderly woman's house, and you know you're you're at someone's home, but you're still in the you know the full trench coat, <laughs> black jacket. You've got the glass. There we go. <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> yeah. The funny, <laughs> the funny thing about this is I have no clue who that is. <gasps> That's not your grandma, okay? Because everything on the I internet says no, your grandma. I have no idea. <laughs> I honestly have no idea who that is and why I'm in that lady's house. But I, I have seen that picture many times and I, and it's always, you know, it's either my mom or my grandmother. I got no clue. I got no clue, but you can tell, yep, that's the way I dress. That's the way I look. Even, I mean, there's no smile. There's no, I mean, if that was, if that was Nana, I'd be at least have a, some kind of smile, but you know, <laughs> when you wouldn't, when you'd go to your Nana's house, would you be dressed like that in the trench coat and stuff? Or did you have to be Mark when you'd go well, to your Nana's but, house? But it's, thank goodness. I, 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 I don't know if that sounds right, but by the time I became undertaker, my, my, my grandparents had passed. So I don't know what they would have thought. Okay. But, uh, um, yeah. I didn't smile a lot. I, I, you know, you just, I, <laughs> And there wasn't, and there wasn't the internet back then. It was just, it was me living the character. And even in my, a lot of my, my, my family photos, my mom's photos, you know, my, all the brothers are together there. You know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm stone faced and, and just, I just, like I said, it, it became part of me. And, uh, you know, I, there was, I can't tell you how many times I heard, do you ever smile? Do you ever smile? Uh, it kind of came a joke. And I said, I am smiling yeah, or, you know, I'm, I'm smiling on the inside. You know, it was just, do you think you'll be smiling at the hall of fame ceremony? Oh man. I, I know there will be times that I'm smiling, but uh, I, I, I'm worried about the times where I, I will probably lose my composure a little bit. Um, there's a, you know, this is going to be, um, a real glimpse into, I mean, everybody knows who the undertaker is, um, but this will be a glimpse into, uh, you know, this will be a glimpse into the, to, into Mark Calloway as well. And, uh, um, and, and, and it's crazy. I don't, I'm only starting to 
get used to talking like this and 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 being open um, like this. It's it, it's it's always been really difficult for me to carry on conversations as Mark Calloway in, in these kind of settings, right? Yep. I mean, I just I, I had a, it was just a few years back. Um, one of my one of my surgeons wanted me to speak at a, at a convention. And, uh, I was terrified because I'd never given that to anybody. And I didn't, I didn't even know really who I was, uh, you know, other than that was my identity. The undertaker was my identity and I could get in front of a hundred thousand people and I could cut a promo for 15 minutes and not think blink or think twice about it. But Mark Calloway, that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother story. Cause I just never done it. So this, you know, the hall of fame is going to be, uh, you know, when I retired, we were still in the middle of COVID. So there was nobody there. Um, you know, they did an amazing production for me, but there were no fans there. You know, they were, there were only employees and people that I had personally invited. So that one wasn't as difficult as what, uh, what the hall of fame is going to be. I mean, that's going to be, um, it's going to be interesting. Well, something I wonder about the Hall of Fame, you know, with you this year is, you know, a lot of times you hear about uh, famous superstars and legends where, you know, they got, they get reached out to, like, we want to induct you this year. But for someone like right. you, I wonder, is it the same with you or is it you telling them I'm ready to go in the Hall of Fame now in Texas is where I want to do it? Um, no, I got a call. Um, and this was the second call that I got. Uh I was approached a few years earlier and, and then, you know, they wanted to induct me then, but I wasn't, I didn't have closure yet. And, and I, I was still, I, I still figure I was going to work a couple of more times. So I didn't, so I passed. And uh, when, when Vince called me this time, I was, you know, I, I said, yeah, um, I'm good. It's, it's, it's time. And then, um, uh, that, 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 that let me know, you know, like I'm coming to grips with the fact that, you know, obviously the career is, uh, the career is over and, and, um, you know, it, it's time for that next, uh, chapter. You know, you talking about just discovering yourself and, and trying to figure out who Mark Calloway is resonates with me so much. And I know I'm way younger than you, not to be not in a bad way, but I'm much younger than you. And I'm still kind of understanding what you're saying. Like just recently, I've been thinking that to myself of like, you know, they say, be yourself. Everyone goes, be yourself in front of people. Um, and it's right. sometimes you go like, well, I don't know who myself is sometimes. Like I've been entertaining for so long and trying to, you know, exude certain things and, and be successful that like, I don't necessarily know what, like who Ryan Satin is, you know? So I, I understand you saying like, I want to figure out who Mark Calloway is. Yeah, it's difficult. And then if, if you're not in that position, it's hard for people sometimes to understand that, that if you could just, you know, you can switch on, you switch off and, and uh, yeah, it, I mean, after, after 30 plus years of, of, of doing this, it's uh, it's really been difficult to, I think one of the biggest things is having the, uh, the confidence to let your guard down Uh you know, that's the that's the first thing you have to do is be able to let your guard down to let anything out, uh, much less what you're going to get back. And um, you know, 
like in this photo, there's there that that there's nothing in the world that anybody can throw at me right now that I can't handle or I, I don't know what to do in that situation. Right? There's yeah. not a wrestling thing. I mean, I've got the answers right there. But you know, you take that hat and that coat off, you know, then it's it's a you know, it's a whole different ball game. And um, you know, that's you know, that's something that, you know, that, that I'm having to, to, to learn and deal with. And, and I have to learn that with my family. I have to learn that with my wife um, because, uh, you know, and this is, you know, I kind of hate to, to, to say it, but this is really the first time in their lives that they are the true priority. And, you know, that sounds horrible and it is, but that's one of the sacrifices um you know, sometimes you have to make and um, to to go out and be something um, to be something different and be something special. And uh, I, I wasn't I wasn't good enough to balance those things um, together. I, I was consumed by one half of that. And um, unfortunately, you know, I, I was presented. I'm, I'm given an opportunity now to to really share the the other half, which is is exciting and 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 you know, and I'm just fortunate and blessed that I have that opportunity, um, you know, to spend with my younger kids and 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 be a husband and 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 do the things that uh, all those things that got put on the shelf because the career came first. And thankfully, you know, because you've had all those surgeries, you're able to like walk and still be actively involved in those kinds of things. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, definitely have been blessed with with good doctors that keep putting me back together. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I'm sure I'm not done yet. Uh, but, uh, you know, that's part of the game. Um, you know it when you get in it that, you know, it, it's going to take its toll on you. And um you know, no regrets there. I would do it all, uh, knowing what I know now, all the surgeries that I've had, the injuries, uh, everything. I wouldn't have changed a thing. I would have done it all the same way. Um, and just, you know, it's just part of it's just part of the game. It comes with it. All right. Well, I got one more topic before I get into my closing questions here. Um, obviously, this was a super sad week with the passing of Scott Hall. I just wanted to know if you have any good memories or stories that you might be able to share. Uh, on the road with him. Um, yeah, you know, Scott was, uh, we go way back, uh, <laughs> that right, that, that picture right there. Um, gosh, dang it. We, we did, that was part of the, the wrestling album that we did. Um, I think, you know, Paul Bear is somewhere in there. Bret Hart was involved in it. Yeah, he's, I'm covering um, Bret Hart's face right there. <laughs> yeah. So that's, yeah, we were, we were in New York and we just finished this, uh, this recording session of all of us kind of doing our catchphrases in this song. And, um, you know, the, the, that whole group of guys was always had such, you know, good times together and so many eclectic personalities always seem to, to, to mesh real, real well. Um, I went to, you know, I went to Japan with Scott in 19, I want to say 88 or 89. Um, is where I met Scott originally and kind of, he kind of took me along and showed me the ropes in Japan. Um, 
you know, it's, uh, it's sad, which is another one of our guys that, that we've lost way too early. Um, he was just a tremendous, uh, you know, in-ring performer. I mean, he was really a, a top flight guy and you just, you know, I hate it for him. I hate it for his family. Um, it's just a, a, another sad day in, in our industry. Yeah, very much so. I mean, growing up, he was always one of my favorites. He was just so cool. He was just like the coolest guy in the room, no matter where he went. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, I've reached the end here, but I've got uh, I, the, the segment I like to end every episode with is called The Finishing Move, where I talk to my guest about, obviously, their finishing move for you. That's the Tombstone pile driver. So who's your favorite superstar to hit the Tombstone pile driver on? Um, I'm going to go with... Um, I'm going to probably go with Sean, Sean Michaels. Uh, he probably received one of the most uh, emphatic tombstones uh, of, of all time. You know, I don't know if it was the, the, I don't know if it was 25 or 26, but he had kicked out, uh, he had kicked out of one and uh, I caught him again and, and another one and, we went, we went airborne instead of me just kind of dropping to my knees, we kind of went airborne and uh, you know, Sean was just so good. I mean, he really was. I mean, it, you can't obviously one of the all time greats uh, in the ring. I think Sean Michaels uh, is one of those guys that could have had a five-star match with a broomstick. Yes. And uh, I mean, he just, he just so good. And, and um you know, he was just, he was always money. I think that was, he's probably my favorite guy to uh, probably to tombstone. I think maybe that's too, because I, you know, he, he was obviously involved in some of my favorite matches. So that's definitely the top one. I mean, that's you and you and HBK is like one of probably the best match in WrestleMania history. So that definitely, that definitely makes sense. Okay. Did you name the tombstone pile driver or did someone else name the tombstone pile driver? Um, you know what? We had come up with it. Um, it was, I don't, it was kind of a collaboration, I think. Um, I, 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 and I, I don't really, it's been, <laughs> it's been so long ago, uh, that, uh, I, I honestly, I could, I can't tell you. Um, I don't, I don't think that I'm going to take credit for it. Um, uh, but I know, I remember there was a group of us, you know, Bruce Pritchard and Pat Patterson and myself and Michael Hayes probably was there. And we were trying to figure out, um, you know, what we were going to name this thing. And, and then someone just kind of visualized putting a tombstone uh, on a grave and how heavy that would be and what it would look like. And I, I think from that is how, like, how the, uh, you know, the name came up. It was putting a tombstone in front of a grave. So, um, but I, I wish I could give you a better answer. I no, just, I, I love I, that I answer though. Remember. No, no, I love that answer. Like, cause you think it's such a simple name, like, oh, he's dead guy. So it's the tombstone. But I like that there was an even deeper meaning behind it of like dropping the oh, tombstone yeah. down. I think that's awesome. So no, no, good yeah. answer. Solid answer. Uh, and lastly, what's the most memorable time you hit the tombstone on someone and why? Um the most memorable time that I hit the tombstone. Oh my goodness. Um, I'm going to say 
I'm going to say Mark Henry because just of his sheer size, um, I wasn't sure that I, <laughs> I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to do it or not. And always my, my, my number one goal always is, is to protect, you know, is to protect my opponent. Um, and I, you know, and Mark, I always, I think the world of Mark and, you know, I, I knew I, at that particular time I was strong, I was healthy, but Mark is a big dude. And he was a really big dude when I tombstoned him. And, uh, I think that time, just on the sheer fact that I was so proud of myself that I had him, I tombstoned him. I didn't hurt him. And, uh, and we had a, you know, we had a fairly decent match along with it. So, uh, I'm, I'm going to go with Mark Henry on the tombstone. Well, Undertaker, I know you got stuff to do today. I just want to say thank you so much for doing this. I have been a fan of yours since as far back as I can remember. Like I said, day one as me being a wrestling fan, you helped make it happen. And so I thank you for all of the entertainment over the years. And I can't wait to see your Hall of Fame ceremony. I'm going to be there for it. Well, I appreciate it all. Thank you for being a fan. Uh, thanks for having me on your show. Um, it's been fun. Um, and uh, and uh, we'll uh, hopefully we won't disappoint at the Hall of Fame. All right. Well, have a good one. Thank you. I appreciate it. Well, that was The Undertaker. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Really cool to hear him just talking about his life, talking about the business. I could have chatted with him for hours, but I only had a half hour. Next time, hopefully we'll get him for longer. Until then, though, until next week's episode, make sure that you go subscribe to Out of Character on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. If you're listening to podcasts right now, you better be subscribed or I'm going to be very disappointed in you. Go subscribe to the show. And while you're there, make sure you leave a rating or a review as well. Also, make sure that you're subscribed to the WWE on Fox YouTube channel. That's where you can find clips from Raw, SmackDown, and this show every week. And the full video version of Out of Character with Ryan Satin premieres on the WWE on Fox YouTube channel every Monday at 9 a.m. Excuse me, 9 a.m. Pacific time. All right, that's it. I'm done. Officially tapping out for now. Until next time, I'm Ryan Satin, and this is Out of Character.